1: Use the promo code Big
2: blue. blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Pilato Today, we're here to do a little bit of a different, abridged version, abbreviated version of the Giants film review. We're not going to be running the tape on this and... and You know, we're not going to be going play by play. We're going to do a little bit of a throwback how we used to do it. And and this is a shout out to all of you. And I know a lot of you have reached out during the year and said, you know, I drive for a living. Either you drive a truck or you you know, drive for Amazon or anything like that. And you appreciated the old versions of the film reviews. And I understand why it was better for for podcast version when you we would just break down key concepts we noticed on film, key players and their film instead of going play by play. So you might enjoy this one because we're not going to do it play by play. We're going to just talk about key things we learn from the tape against the eagles and we won't go too deep into this one either because we're trying to do the same thing joe shane and brian Day we're doing bury the tape move forward to 2023 but anyway with that said nick how are you doing today and where do you want to start here
1: Doing excellent, and this is going back to 2019 when we used to do the offensive and the defensive film review in one podcast just talking oh, yeah. about overall concepts, so a little bit of nostalgia here from uh, Dan and I, and I think we should start with the offensive side of the football. Look, there's no... Sugar coating this. <laughs> the Philadelphia Eagles defense shut down the New York Giants offense significantly, right? Everything that the New York Giants offense had success with at the end of the year, twice against Minnesota, against the Indianapolis Colts, the Eagles had the personnel to match it through man coverage. Because look, Mike Kafka dials up a lot of man beaters. And we actually saw that early in the football game on that first third down, the 12 yard catch by Richie James. That was a man beater out of a stack where Richie James just followed the release of the wide receiver on the line of scrimmage and then went over the middle of the field and the completion, easy. But look at what Jonathan Gannon called significantly. I think 66% of the snaps on that first drive was just cover one. It was just man coverage. It was just, I don't think you can create the separation against our defensive backs. And they were right. There were some plays like the second play of the game, the first quarter, nine twenty-five, second and six. I felt like Daniel Jones diagnosed that it was Saquon Barkley to the flat prompting the middle linebacker to follow him. This is something we discussed a lot, right, Dan? They did it against the Vikings, and whenever Barkley had leverage, Daniel Jones would throw the football to Saquon Barkley, and they would pick up a couple yards. But if Daniel Jones was maybe a little bit more patient on that play, James Bradbury from the stack position, two wide receivers to that field side, cheated way too far inside against a corner route from Darius Slayton. And If Daniel Jones diagnosed that, he might have had Darius Slayton for – say a 20-yard gain or a 25-yard gain. But I believe that's a coaching point from the Giants coaching staff to take Saquon Barkley to the flat if you feel comfortable with it. But that might have been one of the few missed opportunities the Giants did not capitalize on because Daniel Jones in this entire game Dan did not have really any time to work with because Hassan Reddick, Brandon Graham, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, Josh Sweat were just all over that kid this entire game and there really wasn't too much he could do.
2: Yeah, and Hassan Redick was the best free agent signing of the off to me by far. Yes. Three years, forty-five million for a guy who's an elite pass rusher that they, that maybe not elite, but very damn close to it, uh, making a massive impact in this game. And the sucky thing is, we said it, man. He was one of our targets for free agency because that's value. You look for those types of spots. Like that's the spot you want. A guy who's playing out of position. What if Arizona was the team that tried to move him to inside linebacker for two years of his career, yeah. just <laughs> totally toiling away and wasting two years of his career. But we saw the value when he finally got the opportunity to play edge. The Eagles, they capitalized on it. They pounced. They had pass rushers. They didn't care. They wanted more. They made a great signing there. And he made a major impact on this game. What do you say to the people who ask, like, was coaching to play? I think people are more willing to understand on the defense side of the ball. And we'll get to that. It was just a talent issue, I think, quite frankly. But on the offensive side of the ball, was it just a talent issue? Or what were some of the things that you wish you saw from Kafka and Dable a little bit more of early or even later in the game?
1: It's difficult to say the Giants were down 28, nothing at halftime, right? They didn't have any margin for error. And on the first drive, like we said, they drove the football. They actually picked up a first down, but then they went four consecutive drives, three and outs after that turnover on downs on the fourth and eight. So can you really look at Mike Kafka and be like, well, you should have done this. You should have done that. Yeah. I think you can always do that. But when you're offensive line is just getting beat significantly every single time there's really not too much you could do like you like i said you had that opportunity on a second and six where maybe you could have created an explosive play Early in the third quarter, you had Daniel Jones underthrow Darius Slayton. That wasn't underthrow. I know I'm going back and forth with people on Twitter. It's like it was DPI. Stop
2: it. Stop going back and Thank forth with people on yeah. Twitter because I'm, yeah. I'm and I need to interject here for a second and let you get back yeah. into this in a second, Nick. But I'm just sick of it. I'm really just sick of it. If we can't call that an underthrow and blame that on the person who's most to blame for that, which is the quarterback, then you need to stop interacting with us and maybe you should stop listening to this podcast because there are plenty of Homer podcasts where you will get the it's never the quarterback's take and and they'll give that to you and that's fine but that ball that is on the quarterback i don't care that it's catchable and that it might have been dpi that ball needs to be thrown out in front for a walkout touchdown people like if he threw that in front of Slade, Slade would have still dropped it no if there's enough air on that ball and it's literally just put with perfect trajectory in it like he's an nfl receiver he's run go routes his entire life he's run thousands of reps if it can run if it if he can run under it in perfect stride and it drops into his lap into his breadbasket he will catch that he will then take that to the house like enough of you people saying that because I'm sick of it and it's not fair to Nick who took a lot of heat for that when he posted that and anyone else who's taken heat for that like if we can't blame anything on this quarterback walk away from us because I, I don't really want to speak to you I'll speak to other people who can under who can at least blame sometimes you know and that's not even about blame blame is the worst word right like just crit it's critique it's analyze it's What do your eyes tell you? Your eyes tell you that that ball needs to be thrown out way ahead of the receiver, which, by the way, was one of his only clean pockets of the night. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, sorry. I, I needed to go on that. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, thank you. But uh, I love the rationale that like, ah, Darius Slate would have dropped it anyway. Like Daniel yeah. Jones is in the pocket, an actual clean pocket for once right. in the entire game. And he's like, oh, is that 86 out there? Well, he'll probably <laughs> drop it I throw it in front of him. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, what are we doing? We're, we're better than that. You have to be yeah. as objective as possible. And that's going to include critiquing Daniel Jones when he doesn't make the great throws. If I'm going to sit here and applaud Daniel Jones for a fantastic season, which I've done so many times throughout this year, I'm going to critique him when he he makes a mistake and that's one mistake again this loss is not on daniel jones we right. can admit that it was one team was so much better than the other. The Philadelphia Eagles are a far superior roster, as Joe Shane said in his press conference. And just anybody with eyes can say that. And the pass rush just overwhelmed the New York Giants. That's a big reason why the New York Giants could not win this football game. They weren't having a lot of success on first down. And when they got aggressive on that fourth and eight, they didn't convert. And then what did the Eagles do? They went back and they scored another touchdown. So the Giants are down 14-0. Now you're just digging yourself deeper and digging yourself deeper. Crash, right? I think was the word he used a a plane crash. It was
2: like a car crash, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was, just, it was just an absolute unmitigated disaster. Everything went wrong for the New York Giants. But back to your original point, look, right. Mike Kafka, they tried doing similar things that they did against the Colts and against the Minnesota Vikings in those two games, but the Eagles had responses for them by using a lot of man coverage that ended up being tight. And the Giants couldn't really develop any sort of counterpunch because I would say just really the loss in the trenches. And I think even players like Reed Blankenship, this is a rookie who I don't even think was drafted. They dropped that kid in the box. They were just running nickel personnel. I think like 80% of the game. They didn't even really go into a lot of base personnel or anything exotic, but they would just drop Reed Blankenship into the box. And I always felt like the giants on the running plays they were always a step behind because the eagles kind of knew exactly where the running plays would go and there was execution issues up front which we saw throughout this year right like recently the giants execution has been pretty good as run blockers but there are times throughout I would say middle of the season right like just after the bye week just before the bye week yep where the giants guards weren't getting up to the second level where The linebacker of the Eagles, TJ Edwards, or Reed Blankenship, their safety, their rookie safety, was just one step ahead of them, and Evan Neal didn't execute a block on the line of scrimmage. So now Saquon Barkley has to make that guy miss, and by the time Barkley cuts back, there's like three Eagles on top of him. There were a lot of little issues like that from an execution standpoint. So sure, we can blame Mike Kafka, and I think that's fair, but at the end of the day, this comes down to the Jimmys and Joes, in my opinion, and the Eagles are just far superior to the New York Giants.
2: And I think that's all fair, Nick, because like one thing I thought about was maybe the Giants could have tried to have like a Belichickian, Parcelsian game plan here, right? Like, let's just try to milk this clock, use every second of every play clock, keep the ball away from the Eagles offense, because we know we can't stop the Eagles offense. And then you would have to be using zone reads, design runs for Daniel Jones, a lot of Saquon Barkley, and a lot of 13 personnel, 12 personnel, maybe a couple of those, you know, packages with the extra alignment. But as you noted, as you see from the film, when you actually go back and watch it, you can see that. That went to worked either, right? Like they weren't going to be able to execute upfront against that defensive line. They were going to lose the trench battle and they wouldn't have executed that plan. They would have had second and nine and then third and eight, and it would have been the same result. Just maybe they would have burned a little bit more clock doing so. Right.
1: And another thing too, when when you think about what the New York giants have been doing from a successful standpoint over the last couple of weeks is they would just use Saquon Barkley in motion, like right at the snap, get him out. That's going to force the giants into a five man protection package. And right. every time that happened, or I shouldn't say every time, but when that happened, when the giants were driving the football, I'm like, look, we're moving the football and the Eagles, Defense this is all well and good on that first drive. You had a first down run, a second down run, which put the New York Giants into a third and three Giants ran that play where Saquon Barkley just ran out to the field. The linebacker TJ Edwards followed. So now you have a five man protection and Daniel Jones drops back. Cover one was all over the place. And honestly, into Thomas gets pushed back a little bit. Evan Neal gets beat around his edge. This is the play where Daniel Jones stepped up into the pocket and I think he would have picked up a first down. But what does he do? He ends up tripping over Andrew Thomas's foot. That's just kind of bad luck at that point. And then that puts the Giants a little bit back from a third and three. Now they're in a fourth and eight. So Brian Dable's like, look, we've done this before in the past. This is a little bit out of Graham Gano's range. Let's go for it. Hassan Reddick gets a second sack. And on that second sack, I believe it was also a twist where Hassan Reddick, I don't even know how quick he did this, man. He twisted all the way into the opposite A-gap. So easily and just bullied John Feliciano right back into Daniel Jones. And you can say, Oh, John Feliciano needs to be a lot better in that situation. Sure. But at the same time, you have a guy who's running from like a wide nine position all the way up to John Feliciano gets there like that. With all the momentum after John Feliciano is engaged with that uh, one technique to tries to transition off of it, you know, which is not the easiest thing to do. So it kind of goes back to the point that we made at the top of the show, like Jimmy's and Joe's. But yeah, man, that first drive, the way it ended was so demoralizing. The fact that the Eagles were able to just drive right down the field again and score a touchdown with Devonta Smith is just like deflating the
2: balloon, bro. And I think you're right that that was a big turning point in the game. I'm not not here to say that if it hadn't happened and it went the other way and Jones does not trip over Thomas, he escapes because it was open and he gets the first down. The Giants would have yeah. won this game. They still probably lose this game. They had zero answers on defense, so it is what it is. But it felt like a big momentum swing. And I want to ask you something about something that you mentioned. We went into this game thinking like, okay, yeah, the Eagles have better uh, defenders and they have better personnel than the Vikings, but it is a similar system to what Gannon runs versus Donatel. But like you mentioned. Gannon wasn't going to fall for that same trap of playing too high and playing off against this giants team. He played cover one and it goes back to something that's bothered me all for the last four years about this giant's offense, even including this year, do they have answers for defenses that are going to play cover one against them and crowd man coverage and basically say, you're not going to beat us with pitches to Barkley to the outside or pre snap motion and misdirection where you hand the ball to one of the up backs or to breed coming around and quick game in the passing game. You need to beat us outside the hash marks by throwing the football outside the hash marks in the 15 plus range, 15 to 20 yards to 25 to 35. And when teams have done that against the Giants and they do have the personnel up front to win, the Cowboys, Eagles, basically the only two good defenses the Giants played all year were the Cowboys and Eagles, right? Like Ravens earlier this year was before they had Roquan. They were not the same defense. Lions, when they had that bad game, that's not a good defense, really. It's an okay defense at best. Washington, okay, defense at best. They're only two tests against these really good defensive fronts that are willing to play cover one and are not going to say, we'll let you beat us. Any other, we're, we're not going to let you beat you anywhere around the line of scrimmage. You have to beat us in that deep passing game or that intermediate pass game and outside the numbers, not over the middle of the field. It's been really bad. It's looked really, really bad. And that's something that really concerns me moving forward with this team. It's one of the main reasons why, you know, I look at Nick Gates and I'm like, yeah, he's a nice player, but I'd rather just resign him as depth. I look at Feliciano. He's an okay player. I'd rather just resign him as depth. Really, Azuto is the only piece out of that entire interior group that I think moving forward can be should be their starter. And it really makes me think, like, until this, they get the op- upgrades on the offensive line, I just don't know if they're going to beat these teams that are really good in the trenches, like the Eagles and the Cowboys, and are willing to just say, F it. We're playing cover one. We're taking away your quick passing game. Figure it out.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with win rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit WYNNBet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys Of what i originally thought was beer but it was actually in the bottled water section and it was mountain spring water from the alps and it was called liquid death and i thought to myself do i want to try this beverage that is named liquid death because i hear it brutally murders your thirst and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles And they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some Liquid Death and I enjoyed it. I was parched and then I drank it so I was not. So if you want to try some of this Liquid Death, go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash blue. That's liquiddeath.com slash Yeah, They were just sitting on everything with the quick passing game to that yep. point, man. Like anytime the Giants had their, their typical concepts at a stack where Daniel Bellinger would run like a three-yard spot, they would just sit on top of that. You didn't even think back to the interception that Daniel Jones threw on that second drive. That was an excellent play call from Jonathan Gannon. I know we broke it down a little bit on the quick reaction podcast, but you just send Chauncey Gardner-Johnson through the A-gap with Josh Sweat kind of stepping towards the line of scrimmage, seeing Saquon Barkley is getting sent to the flat and then peeling off to take Saquon Barkley. James Bradbury, they were in quarters, but all he did, he flashed his eyes, saw that Josh Sweat was taking Saquon Barkley, and then he just sat right in his spot and basically baited that throw, knowing that Daniel Jones was going to try and replace the blitzing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with the football. So he throws it to, uh, I think it was uh, Darius Slayton, who ends up flowing to the outside, and, and James Bradbury just jumped it. So mm-hmm. all that quick game stuff, which definitely has merit and has taken the Giants, I feel like, passing attack to a different level, the Eagles had answers for that, whether it be from zone coverage, you know, playing aggressively downhill, Giants didn't have really a lot of time to, to run double moves and things like that, or man yeah. coverage. And there were times where the Giants receivers would be open, but with quick game, Usually you're looking on one side of the field. You can't look on the other side of the field, right? Right. And there were times, I think the fourth fourth and eight, I think Darius Slayton ended up coming open on that play. It was a curl route against Darius Slayton. He pushed off and he was at the sideline, but Daniel Jones' eyes were on the other side. So you can't look at Daniel Jones and be like, oh, that's your fault either, because it's like, how was he supposed to know that he was supposed to look towards Darius Slayton who ended up winning on that individual route? Overall, the Giants don't have a wide receiver one. We know that. But I also know that these wide receivers can create separation, but you need to, hit those individuals when they come open. It's just difficult to know which one is going to come open all of the time. And it just seemed like the Giants, there's just so much pressure on Daniel Jones. And a lot of the time he was trying to just step up, step up, maneuver the pocket and the Eagles just, I feel like did a pretty good job containing him.
2: Yeah, they did a great job containing him and it is, such a good it's such an interesting contrast to think of these past two weeks of film with the Giants right their offense versus the Vikings and their offense versus the Eagles two completely different defenses from a talent standpoint and as you mentioned two different defenses and schematically what they tried to do to stop Giants offense the Vikings played a lot of off coverage and a lot of two, hit two you know split safety looks the Eagles like the Cowboys and Dan Quinn when he plays the Giants they said F it we're going to make you beat us in that deep range and that's something that will concern me for the rest of time until that becomes a so until there becomes a consistent solution, the Giants passing game. I've said I've made it clear that I love the tangible evidence that Jones has made. Uh, or the tangible evidence suggests Jones has taken you know big steps in his game, whether that be with his pocket feels, pocket manipulation, his ability to throw on the run, his ability to keep these eyes down the field and stay patient when he's moving on the run, creating off script. There are a lot of different areas of Jones's game that he improved on. even you know, they went back to the tape in game here and they saw like the fact that Daniel Jones had that awful underthrow to Slayton. There are concerns with that under to me, mostly because I worry about passers like him who are just purely over the top throwers at all times and have no flick in their game to make sometimes throws like that outside the ashes. It, it, you know, you can make those throws as an over the top thrower, but there are times where it looks like that. Like when you watch the tape from either angle there on the end zone angle or the, or the sideline angle, it's an ugly ball that comes out of his hand there. And it's hard to figure out why, because he has a pocket on that one. But what I, what it comes back for me is when you're an over-the-top thrower all the time, sometimes throws are going to look like that and they're going to come out bad when versus the guys like, you know, Rodgers or whoever who can just plant their body, get the torque from their hips and flick the ball with a wrist. And it's a little bit different. But aside from that, There are good things about that play. Daniel Jones recognized from the film that they'd worked on, you know, looking at the iPad on, on off series, that he was going to have that ability to hit Slayton there, right? Like Slayton stacked, I think it was Bradbury, right? Slayton, Slayton stacked the corner right away with a great release off the line of scrimmage and had the step, like that was perfect. Exactly as the giants designed it. They even had routes going on in the middle of the field that took away the safety. It was everything you could want from both a receiving route, you know, from the route run by the receiver and the opening that they had. So there is a good thing that Jones recognized that and was able to get to that play. It was a bad throw, but at least he recognized it. And I know, again, a lot of people are right. Like he should have still caught that, I guess, Slayton, and it's still pass interference, but no, the ball needs to be out in front for a walk-in touchdown every time for the good teams. Um, and so, yeah, so you look at things like that and you're worrying about like, how can the giants move forward? And I think a lot of it is, like you said, they need to get better in the trenches, right? When they face these good teams, like the Eagles and the Cowboys are going to play cover one and have the horses up front. The best way to get Jones comfortable throwing those outside the hash passes down the field is by giving him production. That he can rely on, because I think people have mentioned this, Nick, and I'm curious to get your take. Did you feel at, at all? Like Daniel Jones was a little bit, um, rattled at times in this game, especially in the second half, based on the pressure up front and his breakdowns in pass production, because we haven't seen rattled Jones this year really at all. I didn't feel like even the first Dallas game, I didn't feel like it was the case at all. Second Dallas game. No, maybe I guess you could say the first Eagles game. I don't know. I have to try to remember back, but otherwise than that, it felt like none of no examples of that. Did you feel like that was at
1: at, at all apparent to you on film rattled? I, I think maybe just because he had two consecutive missed throws that we, I don't, I don't think Daniel Jones has really done that this year all that often. Right. And that was at the start of the third quarter when you needed to respond to the fact that you were down by four touchdowns, missed the Darius Slayton throw. And then on the subsequent play, him and Richie James didn't seem to be on the same page. And Daniel Jones hasn't done that too often this year. I think there have been some instances where he has. So I think it's safe to say maybe he was a little bit flustered or rattled. I don't know if that's, I don't think that's any indictment on his mental fortitude or his toughness or anything like that. I just think he was just getting hit. A lot, and that's yeah. not something that he was necessarily been accustomed to, at least not recently, because the offensive line was, I think, playing a little bit better than right. than what we've seen. What, what are your opinions on that? And then I want to get into one specific play that I'm going to show for the YouTube audience that really illustrates how the Eagles, the Eagles' thought process, playing the New York Giants on third and short.
2: Well, I like that, so we're going to get into that for anyone watching on YouTube. And if you're listening, hopefully, it'll be still of value to you. But as far as what you, uh, as far as your question there, Nick, I think you actually perfectly hit it. I don't know of anything, Dad, because I agree so wholeheartedly with everything you said. I think. What we have seen this year is on-target percentage of throws for Daniel Jones being really high. What we saw in this game was more off-target throws from Jones than we're used to and that we had seen this year. The Richie James throw, the third and sixth, I believe, after he took that five-yard run out of bounds on the second and one, Slayton, what's going on there? You don't see him short-hopping yeah. throws a lot this year. That ball was short-hopped. So there was something to it, and I think a lot of it had to do with, like you said, the pressure. It's not only just getting hit, it's just the idea, like, as I drop back, do I trust this offensive line to hold up? And by the third quarter, maybe he just didn't trust it as much. as, as And that's not... I don't blame the quarterback for that. I blame the offensive line, unfortunately, and we're going to need to see an upgrade there. And I thought someone made a great point before getting into what you're going to break down. And we'll get to the other side of the ball, too. But I thought someone made a great point about just Jeff Stoutland's impact on this yeah. Eagles offensive line, man. There's like two to three to four elite offensive line coaches they're almost rare to find than quarterbacks these days and they just make such an impact i just hope one day we're the we finally did it with the coach right we finally had this coaching edge we haven't had i hope one day we have an offensive line coach edge uh it just would make such a difference for the giants no offense to bobby johnson he's all right but clearly he's not at that level
1: yeah, he needs to get the most out of Evan Neal. Like Evan Neal is Bobby yep. Johnson's project. And I like yep. everything I've heard from Bobby Johnson, heard great things, and I feel like he's done a, a solid job, all things considered, this year. But Evan Neal playing as Questionably as he did this year, maybe some of it had to do with the injury. I think it's safe to, to assume that, but next season, we're hoping to see an Andrew Thomas year two jump. Because We started seeing that year two jump early with Andrew Thomas and then into year yeah, three. We're even like,
2: in oh, this God. first year, we started to see it a little bit in that second half. That's bit. the thing that concerns me a little bit. He was a, a better player in the second half. Obviously the big junk came last year in the second year, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Andrew Thomas. It was the Ravens game and the Cardinals game in the second half that were really like kind of question marks. But all of those other games, he stabilized, and you could just see he wasn't getting beat inside. Because the way Andrew Thomas lost is a lot different, and I might do some I sort know. of piece that big review in the offseason. A lot different than the way Evan Neal lost. And Andrew Thomas spoke about Evan Neal's struggles. He says he has all the tools to be great, and I think to some extent that is true. But Andrew Thomas was just getting beat inside. It was a lot of oversetting because he was scared to get beat around his edge, and I think there's some element of that to Evan Neal, but. I just don't believe Andrew Thomas looked as uncomfortable and as sloppy as Evan Neal is looking right now. Do you think that's safe to, to say?
2: I think it's safe to say. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you on this. And I say unfortunately because I I look at the two players and even in the rookie year. And as you mentioned, the struggles are very different. I'm a bit, I'm a bit more worried about Neal, I guess, than I ever thought I would be. And it should maybe I shouldn't be because it's only his rookie season. But some of these issues that I see with Neil, like balance, for example, and like the top heaviness, like, does that ever go away for a prospect like him? He's very different. Yeah,
1: because
2: we saw it at Alabama, too. And he's a very different looking tackle than than Andrew Thomas from a build standpoint, right? Like they're not the same. And it's not like he's using that big size or length to his advantage right now in the run game either like what you expect would maybe be something that you can see from him or, and I, and I know like in the run game leverage is probably more important anyway, but I do feel like, you know, with those big bat with those big offensive tackles, sometimes you can get these maulers in the run game. He's certainly not that yet. Maybe he won't be that, but, I did feel like at the very least, he'd be very solid in pass production. Just someone like in the mold of uh, Orlando Brown Jr. When he came out, everyone was like, oh, my God, did you see that combine? You can't draft this dude. The Ravens was like, I don't give a crap about the combine. He's too long and too big to beat to get around him. Because even if you beat early, he'll, he'll recover and he'll use his length. That's what I thought would be the case with Evan Neal, but it wasn't the case this year.
1: No, it wasn't. And I'm not writing Evan Neal off and I don't think you are either. I I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't concerned at all because what we saw wasn't pretty. And he's going to see Hassan Reddick, and he's going to see a lot of Micah Parsons. Like all of those opposing defensive coordinators in this division are going to be like, cool. Andrew Thomas, he's an all pro. Hey, Michael Parsons, go a line over the other guy. He's got to adapt quickly. And I have faith that he will. And, and I think, like we've said so many times, just how he prepares for the game and his football character and his overall character lead me to believe he's going to put the work in to develop, which is great. But now we need to just see it happen. And that hopefully will come in due time. But, Dan, I want to I want to bring in this before, one before player. Before
2: you get to this, I want to ask you something on Evan Neal. You can leave it up if you okay. want. just It looks cool. Um I saw you mention something today in a reply to one of the listeners that I might have been tagged on, or maybe I was just looking at your profile or something. Someone asked about moving Evan Neal to guard. I personally am not a big fan of that
1: idea. What are your thoughts on that? I think it would not be the solution this season. I think that would be if he struggles next year. Maybe you can start to discuss that. I think, look, he's a mauler. I think you put him in a more restricted space where he doesn't have to kick out and protect the quarterback on the edge, right? Where he doesn't get beat with speed around the edge. He has a tackle to his right or his left, and he has a center to his right or his left. In theory, that makes sense, right? That can, that can definitely help you in the sense of getting beat in pass protection by speed. But you still need to maintain a low profile. You still need to play with low leverage, which right. isn't something that has been consistent with his game. I think it's possible, but I don't, I'm don't. i not at that point right now to where the Giants should be exploring or at least seriously considering kicking him inside. Playing tackle in the NFL is difficult, right? It's going to take right. a little bit of development. I'm not there yet. Is it an option if he struggles next year? Sure. But then who's going to mm-hmm. play tackle? Which is a whole nother question. (laughs) Evan Neal is this is like a top recruit. This guy went to IMG Academy, he went to Alabama, was successful Alabama, played guard, played right tackle, played left tackle, a very versatile and smart player. And I think the injury definitely slowed down his progress this year. He comes back mid-season, he's not a hundred percent, kind of gets just thrown to the fire. He has some good tape, he has some bad tape. And I like I said, I'm just hoping that he can develop and hope what the hell does that even mean, right? But uh, I'm going to Still go into next season thinking that he is our starting right tackle yeah. and just hoping that development kicks in. I don't th- think he's Eric Flowers either. Like I think Evan Neal is struggling, right. and I seen that. Like, oh, he's Eric Flowers two I don't think that. I definitely don't think that. Like Eric Flowers had no friends in the locker room. Like, talk to people on the beat. He wasn't involved with anybody. Bobby Hart was that guy's like only friend in that right. locker room, which means something, right? From a from a team standpoint, from a from a personality standpoint, from a character standpoint, and I think Evan Neal will eventually figure it out and that's what we just need to see at this point but we're not going to see it until next year
2: and i think with neil versus flowers like just as an overall valuation of what they were offering as tackles flowers to me had a slew of issues more than neil like for example like flowers footwork was unbelievably bad i don't know yeah. if neil's footwork is anywhere near as bad neil has issues with balance overextending things you've talked about leverage but feet footwork which is the most important thing for a tackle he has quick Feed. He just needs to know how to, he just needs to figure out how to use them better in my opinion, but it's not like he doesn't have that trait, which flowers never had. So I don't like that comparison either.
1: I, I understand where people, how people come to that that comparison but yeah, I, I think Eric Flowers had like you said so much more wrong with him than Evan Neal does and it just sucks right now because we're seeing Evan Neal again some of these top talents struggling but he's a rookie tackle right. that happens and I say that and then I look at Tyler Smith and you didn't see as many struggles he struggled a little bit against Nick Bosa yesterday but it does seem like Tyler Smith had a much better season than Eric or than Eric Flowers well than Evan Neal but uh hopefully um I hate, I hate keep using the phrase hope I really do, but that's where we're at right now. Right? Like yep. there's nothing we can see from Evan Neal until next year. Charles Cross point. had a better season. To be honest, it's, it's sometimes it does click for these rookies. Dara saw
2: last year with the Vikings, you know, obviously Rashawn Slater, but sometimes it also takes a little bit longer as we obviously know as giants fans with Andrew Thomas.
1: Yeah. Andrew Thomas. I mean, that's a good, I guess, example to use, but like, like we said a little earlier, they are a little different. bit different. Right. Yeah. All right, let's get into this one play that I wanted to bring up. This is just a, I believe it's a third and four. So obviously the Giants are backed up in their own end if you're watching on YouTube. They're on their 15 yard line. And Watch what these cornerbacks do. And this is how teams were playing the New York Giants. And this is the tell is in the safeties right before the snap. You can see the safeties. If you're listening to me on the podcast, you have one safety splitting the numbers and the hash. The other one is on the hash to the boundary side. Now watch 23 and 32 read Blankenship right before the snap. They both start bailing outside, which is going to leave the vacated middle of the field as the Eagles end up blitzing. But okay, the play just advanced, but go back. But if you look at James Bradbury and Darius Slay, they're anticipating out routes from the number two receivers, Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins. And it's a play the Giants run a lot. Giants run a ton of spear concept, and they run a ton of these types of plays where those number two receivers are going to look for space in the void and just sit on these third and fourth situations. The spear concept is the play that we've broken down so many times where you have the two horizontal crosses that are deep with a drag underneath. Giants typically do it from reduced sets or sp- or uh, stacks. This isn't that on this third and fourth. This is a two by two set where you have players outside the numbers. Watch James Bradbury and Darius. They're both just sitting. They're both waiting for those out routes. They know the giants are running that. And this is something where Daniel Jones right here. He could throw this James Bradbury is going to click and close downhill on Isaiah Hodgins. And we've criticized Daniel Jones for making throws like this in the past, because with James Bradbury playing that aggressively downhill and with Darius Slayton playing that aggressively downhill, you're going to have a honey hole shot. But I, I get why Daniel Jones threw this specific pass. Cause it does look like James Bradbury has some space and Isaiah Hodgins catches the football and he's right at the marker, but then he bobbles it. He had it, but then he ended up bobbling it, but this is like a good way to get your wide receiver killed. And I just right. haven't seen the giants, Make teams pay for playing their cornerbacks like that whenever they are facing these cover two type looks, and that's something that I that I need to see. I want to see that that whole shot because look how much space thirty two has to cover. He's outside the numbers. He has to get over to the sideline. I get it's I get that uh, he he has some momentum moving in that direction, but I don't think we've seen that throw yet this year from Daniel Jones. And I'm not sitting here just pointing this out. To criticize Daniel Jones, I'm pointing it out to say that these teams know that the Giants are looking for these little nickel and dime, these little I'm just yep. going to slice you up type of plays instead of those explosive plays because that has been the Achilles heel of this Giants offense the entire season. They don't create freaking explosive plays, and the tell right at the snap is those safeties and how they're playing. Right. They're dropping wide, especially Reed Blankenship. So you just got to look out for those those cover two, those cover two cornerbacks. And, who just and look at look the corners them. right at the snap too, right, Nick? Look at how they position themselves especially Slay at the top of the screen. You can see how Slay, he doesn't even backpedal. At least James Bradbury backpedaled a little (laughs) bit because he's on the field side. And I get Daniel Jones is like, okay, he he sees James Bradbury take that step back. But James Bradbury's full intention is to drive downhill. And that probably one reason that prompted Daniel Jones to throw this ball. And Isaiah Hodgins has been excellent in these situations too. Plus you have to that side, an end man on the line of scrimmage who was not included in the coverage count before the snap. He drops off into a hook. So he's another right. player that Isaiah Hodgins has to worry about. So what does Isaiah Hodgins do? He's going to flow his coverage or his route away from that coverage, and that goes right into James Bradbury. So this is a right. really good play call by Jonathan Gannon. And, Dan, we watch a lot of film on this team, right? That doesn't surprise you, does it? Like like that's no. what the Giants do. That's that's a, one of the staple plays of the offense on the Giants is to throw to that number two. And teams really started catching onto it, to, onto it towards the end of the season. I'm a little – I guess uh, confused as to why Ed Donatel only really I think had one play call against that. And again, I'm not in his defensive room. I don't know. And I'm not trying to chastise a guy, but that was just a bad defensive hey, performance. Yeah, he
2: deserves to be chastised. If you watch the film, unfortunately for him, he's a professional coach and he's trying his best. Sometimes you have bad game plans, I guess, and you just have bad moments. I'm sure he's in a bad groove with that Vikings defense toward the end of it. And there's player issues there too, personnel and, and communication, things like that. But what you just showed that play on film, if Donatelle had watched the tape from a little bit earlier in the season, and obviously Gannon did, he would notice the Colts had a very similar play against the Giants. The given giving up Colts. Remember that game where the Giants looked great. The Colts have given up, whatever. But they had a play where in a very similar cover two look, Gilmore drove down on it. I believe it was Hodgins on that same out throw. And it left that honey hole open. Like you talk about against cover two. And we just don't throw that honey hole. Daniel Jones hasn't thrown that really. You said this year. I don't know, man. I can't remember in all four years us really attacking that area of the field with uh, with Daniel Jones. And it's unfortunate to say, and, you know, things can change. That's the whole thing. You hope that with better protection and better receivers. And more importantly, I think, than all of those things, because I don't really buy into it just being the receivers and the protection. I think a lot of it is what Brian Dable said today and what Joe Shane said today, Daniel Jones did of what, what we asked of him. I think they believe if they resign him, they believe that he's going to take a jump mentally. That's what it all comes down to. He's that stuff has to start clicking for him. He has to start seeing that and being like, I have the honey hole. I'll take the honey hole. It's a better option there. And like you said, that one's not so bad because Bradbury does show a little bit of a back pedal, but it's not like a back pedal on a vertical, you know, he has his, Hips flip toward yep. the toward the middle of the field. That's like if you see that, you should be like, it's going to be hard for him to recover and get back vertically. If I throw that whole shot, and so that's just what we need to see. And I think if they resign him, they feel like Jones will take that mental jump next year or the year after at some point in his career with the Giants.
1: We've said this so many times. You need to make that defense defend every single part of the field, outside the numbers, different routes. You want that cornerback to worry about the number two wide receiver running a deep corner route on, say, a smash concept, which is right. where the number one is going to run a little curl, a pivot, a return, whatever, an underneath route that is going to occupy the cornerback. And then the number two is going to run a corner route over the top of him. The Giants did not run a lot of those routes and throw it too much this season. Like off the top of my head, when it wasn't a scramble drill or a rollout, move the pocket type of play. You had a play to Tanner Hudson earlier in the season, and yeah. then a play to Wandell Robinson earlier in the season that was kind of outside the numbers on a corner type of concept. And I think that is if the Giants re signed Daniel Jones, which that's I'm that's two in a forward, full year
2: with two playoff games.
1: There might have been other ones that are that are slipping my mind, but those those are two that I'm that that I that I remember off the top of my head because I started paying attention to it at a certain, certain point because I just we just didn't see it all that often right. this year. So we we need Daniel Jones to to take that step when he comes back if he comes back as the New York Giants quarterback and there's nothing to me that suggests he can't because he has the arm talent. He just needs to be a little bit more comfortable letting it rip. Yeah. in that area because then defenses aren't going to start playing you as as um in such a particular way where they don't really necessarily respect the fact that you're going to be throwing to every inch of the field. Exactly. And that's all. And we've
2: seen it at times, right? We saw it in that Saints game last year when they took the deep shot early to Ross. We've seen it even at times this year. If you can check when, when a couple games where they took early deep shots to Darius Slayton, if you can make the defense second guess how they want to play you. And like even early on in this game, if you had made the Eagles second guess their aggressive game plan, maybe it would have changed some things. I don't know if it would have changed this game, but it could change some things. So yeah, that's definitely something we'll look to moving forward. Let's flip to the other side of the ball now and talk about some defensive takeaways. I think the most glaring one for me, Nick was the one play where they removed Dexter Lawrence from the field. They put on Justin Ellis, and immediately Travis, uh sorry, not Travis, J- Jason Kelsey basically forklifts Ellis, puts him on the ground, takes him out of the play. You see Jalen Smith at that. You see Jared Davis just totally uh take himself out of the play. The second they, they, they to the second level. He's done. You see Jalen Smith do like a loop de loop, totally out of position. And it's just this gaping hole with three players just awful on the play. Justin Ellis, Jalen Smith, Jared Davis, three players who played big, not, not Ellis, but anytime he was on the field played snaps for the Giants this year and were deficient when they were on the field. They were big liabilities. They are not players who we expect to be playing next year. We hope at least on the second level, we know Justin Ellis probably won't be back but they speak to volumes to me about everything that happened in this game on defense. The whole reason the giants lost, as I said before, AJ Brown was not even used in this game. They didn't even have to use their best weapon in this game. And I believe he's their best weapon. And they barely used their second best weapon in Devontae Smith. Cause why would you, when you can run the ball over and over and defensive line, depth linebacker play, those are the two things. And I, again, I find it so ironic, Nick, I just find it so freaking ironic that when Dave Gettleman arrived five years ago, he said, There's three tenets I believe in when it comes to building a roster. The first one is you got to rush the passer. The second one is you got to stop the run. And the third one is you got to run the football. And here we are three years later, and we only started running the football well because of scheme and because of coaching that he didn't hire. We still are okay rushing the passer. We have some great moments. We have some bad moments. This game wasn't great for rushing the passer. And then not a lot of of opportunities. I still think we're better there. But then stopping the run, how the hell is that one of your three tenants, which not every GM even believes in, right? Like the the Browns have completely thrown that aside. They've said, we don't want to stop the run. We believe everything is about passing the football. And they have the worst, you know, run defense in the NFL. The Chargers don't really asset, you know, allocate resources, stop the run. But Dave was one of them. Dave believed in stopping the run. And what does he leave the next GM with? Not a single linebacker. He didn't even try to get a linebacker. And zero defensive line depth. He traded B.J. Hill away. He's Swift on R.J. McIntosh. You know, this is the type of thing that bothers me when it comes to the people who are like, Dave Gettleman, give him his flowers for what we got at the core. Like, the core, the core, dude, you hit on a couple top six picks and you had a ballpark hit with Dexter Lawrence. Good job. I've given him credit for that. He deserves it. But how is one of your 310 tenants stopping the run? And then we have a game where we literally lose the game because we can't stop the run with no linebackers and no defensive line depth.
1: Crazy to me, man. Did you get that off your chest? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. He's, still living in, he's still living in that. No, nah, but you're right, man. This, yeah, this, roster, this roster is not equipped to be playing a team like the 49ers or the Eagles in the divisional round. The 49ers would have done the same exact thing. They would have just exploited the Giants' inability to fit the run, which has been a consistent theme on this podcast. And it's mostly out of power gap. But in this game, it was zone read. It was yeah. like Shane Steichen's like, okay, we're going to align with two guys in a stack mirrored outside the numbers and we're going to force you wide. And then we're just going to run zone read and you can't stop it. And the giants cannot stop it. And that's something that just consistently happened. I mean, the giants, and this was really peculiar to me and I, I want to get your opinion on it. They used quarter on only seven snaps. They didn't have a lot of third and long situations and right. they needed to stop the run. So that's a big reason why. Landon Collins didn't play on defense at all in this. I game. That was chasing too. I thought it was interesting, too, because he's the guy in quarter that you're like, okay, maybe he can fit the run a little bit better than some of those smaller defensive backs. But the Giants didn't even put him out there, so that was a little bit peculiar to me, and I don't necessarily have 100% of a reason why. I know the Giants ended up blitzing on 42.3% of the snaps. It was mostly started on their third drive. And they were already up 14-0 at that point. So I think Wink Martindale was a little bit conservative early on. And I think maybe one reason why that was was because on the second play of the game, Dan, a 40-yard pass to Devonta Smith, who gets isolated against Julian Love. It's just like, oh my God. like Because you know they wanted to stop the run, but you needed to defend those guys on the back end too. You needed to defend A.J. Brown, defend Devonta Smith. So when a 40-yard pass happens on the second play of the game, I think the Giants might've got a little bit more conservative and they also just never were really in a spot where it was like, you know, third and six and third or they were, but like the the Eagles were very successful and efficient on picking those up with quick, quick hitters, man. They weren't even throwing the ball deep that often. No. It was just attack the second level. It was attack the linebackers, attack the safeties dropping down into the box. If it's man coverage that play with, I think it was Zach Pascal and Dallas got it on the Dallas got touchdown. Zach Pascal just acted like he was going to create the pick. And then he got out of the way and yeah. homeboy, Xavier McKinney just stumbled. Dallas got just makes a one hand catch and it was just simple touchdown for them. And then they got the play. With Devonta Smith's touchdown. They use this several different times. They would just basically use the zone read, get the defense to cheat towards the inside, and then throw the bubble to Devonta mm-hmm. Smith. They used they dude, there were like three or four occasions where I was like, they're throwing a bubble to Devonta Smith here. And every single time they it threw worked. the first yeah, and it worked. They threw the bubble, and the Giants are like, We have to respect our run fit up, but we have to get outside now. And now you have AJ oh. Brown blocking Zach Pascal blocking, and the Giants offense. Or, I mean, the Giants defense just does not have the personnel to to stop that, man. Like I got Dexter Lawrence up front. That's your that's your guy. But how many times in that game did Dexter Lawrence have Jason Kelsey and Isaac Ciamalu or Landing and Dickerson on him? Like right. he can't do everything, right? He couldn't do everything, and it was just an absolute mess from a defensive standpoint. You brought up a lot of good
2: points there, Nick. I think the first one I want to touch on is I think you're right. I think you might be onto something about that, that Ray or earlier in the game, second play of the game, they hit that big chunk play with Devontae Smith on a ball that could have even been a touchdown with a better throw, in my opinion. And they hit that play and maybe it did alter how they want, you know, how they called the rest of their game because they figured out like, oh crap, we can't be that aggressive with what we want to do. Cause if we are, they do have the capability to just rip us through the air on big chunk plays like that. Um, and that's something that stood out to me. I want to ask you something else that I've heard this week from some Giants fans. And I think it was giant insider, uh, Chris Bizignanu, uh Bisagnanu. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last Jeez. name. That was that was a rough one right there. <laughs> uh what do you think that should be? Um As
1: I honestly I don't know. I don't, this, I don't have this I don't have the spelling in front of me. I think it's
2: B-I-S-A-G-N-O. Bizignano.
1: I think that was closer than that first one that you tried. Uh, Bizignano. I think it, he it O it. It ends in an O. Okay, yeah. Okay, and shout out I'm to Chris. Sure.
2: I've met him before. I, I I said this before. I'll say it again. When I was covering the Giants' training camp, I think it was twenty eighteen with CBS Sports. When I was still a twenty four seven sports, actually, uh, he was literally the only beat writer who would at that point. No fan, and look, I didn't know Art Stapleton at the time. I'm sure now Art would say hi to me. Dan Duggan as well. we we've we've made connections since, but at that time, and I don't know if those guys were even there that day. At that time you know, no, no other beat writer even wanted to associate with me. Like, Oh, new guy on the, on the beat, new guy taking our, you know, like here, it was kind of one of those things. And I get the feel, honestly, every time I'm in the building there, I've covered games since that, like people are very, you know, aware of their territory and they don't want new people coming in. I understand that dude, it's a competitive business. And so, but Chris was always nice to me. And Chris and I talk, so shout out Chris. And I think he said on his podcast, I read this on big blue draft. So Chris, if you hear this, you can correct this, that he was sitting in front of Joe Shane, in the press box and he felt like Joe Shane was a little bit taken aback by some of the tackling by the Giants in this game, and so he didn't say Shane said anything. He just said Shane's reactions. This is from his podcast, Giant Insider. You guys can find it out and correct me if it, if I got any of it wrong, since I went through BBI for this. They they're not always the most reliable. The people who are posting to that message board, some are, some aren't. Uh, you know, some have agendas. But he did mention that in his opinion, this wasn't Joe Shane. In his opinion, he felt like there were a lot of uh, shoulder tackles from the Giants second second and third level, and specifically, he mentioned Julian. Love, who he thought had a game like that. So I wanted to get your take on if you noticed any of that on the film, bad tackling, bad form tackling, bad effort from the third love baby, or, and and Julian Love specifically, how did he look to you on tape?
1: I think um, I think it was a Dory Jackson who he had in the tweet. I just pulled the tweet up. I okay. think it was a Dory and not Julian Love. Julian Love had several missed tackles, which is problematic, and that's not something consistent with his game. But yeah, there were times where he would just dive and just kind of get shh shed off of him and just didn't really wrap and it was very um it was very out of character for Julian Love. In terms of Adoree Jackson, look, these guys were on defense for a significant amount of snaps. I think there were right. times where dory Jackson came down, he did Adoree Jackson type things because Adoree Jackson is not known for being really good in run support or a good tackler, but he is. But there were yeah. also times later on in the game where he was running from across the field and he would just kind of throw his shoulder, but he would end up making the tackle, but it wasn't like a wrap up Role roll mm-hmm. type of tackle that we're, we're used to seeing. I think maybe some of that is born out of frustration. It wasn't my main takeaway. I'll, I'll say that much from watching the film. It wasn't like, wow, Dory Jackson doesn't give a crap. Like that's not really where I, um, what I, what I came away with, but I saw the tweet and I, and I went back and I looked a little bit earlier th- today. Cause I was like, did I miss something with that? And I was like, ah, man, he like threw a shoulder in there, but I didn't see him necessarily dog it too much. Like he was the cornerback where Jalen Hurts scored the rushing touchdown to, but he was covering AJ Brown deep all the way to the mm-hmm. flag. Right. So I wouldn't say it was his best effort, but it wasn't my main takeaway. My main takeaway was just like, this team is probably wildly frustrated because there's no, <laughs> there's no example of, of just being embarrassed on the football field as a defense. When you can't what stop we the saw run. When yeah. you just can't stop the run. And and they're just like, we're just going to keep doing it. And we're just going to keep doing it. Cause we know you can't stop it. Oh, cool. You're bringing in base personnel. That's fine. Whatever. Can't stop it. And even, dude, like, I felt like when the Giants aligned in quarters or quarter coverage, right? Quarters, coverage, whatever. When they had those four guys, when they had two safeties deep and their their DBs, their cornerbacks were were like, yeah, 70-yard depth or whatever, 70-yard depth. It was just like a little quick pass to Dallas Goddard in the flat. They just had like a response for every look that Wink yeah. Martindale tried to throw out there. And I get it, man. It's a difficult defense to... uh or it's a difficult offense to go up against. But man, bro, talk about just getting outclassed in basically every facet
2: and it will look so much different next week when you see the 49ers defense against this offense right we're going to see a totally different thing than how the Giants defense looked and that is kind of speaks to what Joe Shane said in his presser like there is a talent gap we're not going to Dave Gettleman this thing and speak with arrogance we believe that there is a talent gap we're going to look to close that talent gap so what you saw doesn't happen again for the Giants fans and for the Giants team obviously and I thought one thing that played a role in this we didn't see it earlier this year when the Washington commanders had that bye week and then they had the extra week to prepare we didn't see which is maybe a knock on Scott Turner, but we certainly saw it with Steichen and with Sirianni. They were, like you said, so prepared for everything the Giants were doing defensively, and to the point where, like even when they did line those uh, corners off the ball and have the safeties up top, they were able to hit quick game. They're able to find solutions over and over and over again to everything Wink Martindale wanted to do, and that speaks to the preparation they put in, and obviously
1: the time that they had, and they earned by getting yeah. that bye week. Yeah, the time that they had is something we probably haven't spoken too much about. That and the fact that they were able to shower that morning because the Giants had no <laughs> water. Whatever, so, yeah, How many, so that how many more examples
2: good. do we need, by the way, to put the rest versus rust thing to debate, man? Because rest is winning hard right now. Yes. Rest and prep time to prepare is winning this debate hard from the Giants' first playoff game to the Eagles here, the Chiefs in the division round. I mean, rest is winning hard. So I hope for you guys with the rust debate, you're starting to at least maybe come around to this thing. Cause I don't want to have this debate too much more often.
1: No, I, I definitely understand that. Not to mention the Eagles are the much better roster. And so were yeah. the chiefs over the Jacksonville. Sure. I think the play- playoffs are going to get really, really interesting now, man. Like I'm, like I said, full on 49ers fan, but I like both of those teams in the AFC. Like I like the chiefs and I, I really like Joe Burrow. And I think somebody uh, posited a nice question to, to us about Josh Allen or Joe Burrow And it got me thinking because my initial reaction was Josh Allen because he's a freak in nature, but like the running and all that stuff could take a toll. We've seen that happen before. I know Josh Allen is a much different quarterback than Cam Newton, but that is, that is something that happened to Cam Newton where he was on top of the world, MVP, all that stuff. And then it was just straight up decline Mm -hmm. because his body started breaking down on the way. Josh Allen runs and Josh Allen is more advanced than Cam Newton is. There's no doubt, but the way Josh Allen runs. That could eventually happen, the breakdown from a physical standpoint. Joe Burrow is not going to have that. And it's right. just the cerebral part of the game that Joe Burrow masters. And it's uh, it's it's a joy to watch. Cause I thought the Bills would win that game. I kind of thought the Bills would win that game. The Bengals has had what, like three injuries on their offensive line. They were all beat up. Cincinnati went in there and just beat the brakes and embarrassed the Buffalo Bills. And I just think that's a that's a statement game from Cincinnati. And I kind of think Cincinnati is going to beat Kansas City now.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. It was a statement game for a lot of reasons. One being what you just said. I mean, you can't understate what it's like to have three random backup offensive linemen come in for a playoff game. They didn't have their left tackle, right tackle, or I believe it was their right guard or the left guard, one of the two. And one of the players they put out there, Karis, I believe it was yeah, it was Karis, was like playing through a torn MCL, they yeah. said. Literally. Mm-hmm. If that ever happened to our Giants, it would be our immediate excuse for why the offense sucked. Like, uh, well, that's what happened, right? And we've seen games where the Giants have had like three backup offensive linemen randomly have to play during the Eli years and things like that, where the offense was like, "Oh shit!" Every time we drop back, we can't do anything, and that speaks volumes to me to what how good Joe Burrow played in this game. I know people are like, "Well, he has all these weapons." Sure, but I've seen quarterbacks completely fall apart with offensive line play despite weapons. We literally watched this two years ago in the Super Bowl when the Chiefs played the Bucks, and their offensive line had multiple injuries. I I think maybe not more, but the same as the Bengals had. And they still had Tyreek Hill and Kelsey and all the weapons were still healthy. But because of that, they completely shut down as the offense. Joe Burrow, similar situation, did not shut down as an offense. He actually played really well. And so to me, that was a statement game not only for the Bengals, but for me. I now put Burrow as the number two quarterback. I have him just after Mahomes. I haven't met of at- Allen for a while, and shout out to Adi. He's not listening to this, but my main boss at CBS Sports. He's really hated me for a while because before the year, I said I would still take Justin Herbert over Joe Burrow long term, and I had that take the year before. And now that take has changed as well for me because I've evolved my take to believe, look, there's something about Burrow. It's about the way he maneuvers the pocket. It's about how fast the ball gets out. It's about how on time he keeps that passing game. It's about how the way he assassinates the middle of the field. It's about the way he beats all your coverages. Like you throw cover three at him, you throw cover two, you try to do different things to confuse him. And he's never confused. He's always getting out. I agree. He has great receivers. That's no doubt about that at all, but it's not the only factor in why he's able to have the games he at. And I wanted to give a shout out to Lou Anarumu, who used to be the Giants defensive backs coach as recently as 2018 after the game, several defensive backs and players in the Bengals were like, he's a mad scientist. The game that he put together, he shut down the chiefs last year in the conference finals. He shut down the bills offense this year. That is impressive as well. And so I'm with you going into this game, by the way, I am. I never, ever, ever, ever like to, or typically do bet against Mahomes. It's something I just refuse to like to do. I love Patrick Mahomes. He's my favorite player in the sport that's a non-giant, and I think it's stupid to ever bet against him. But it injured Patrick Mahomes with how good the Bengals are playing on the defense and Joe Burrow, despite losing three offensive linemen and having random dudes on your offensive line, including one non-random dude who's playing through a torn MCL somehow. I still think I'm taking the Bengals in that one. Sadly, though, on the other side, Nick, and we can wrap up here because this is not really much film Giants talk, but it's fun anyway, and I think people will appreciate it. I sadly think the Eagles are going to win this game. And I think it's not going to be that. I'm not going to bet the Eagles because I don't want to root for them. But I have such an ugly feeling about this game watching those two teams play. And maybe I'll just be, you know, maybe it's just because the Eagles blew out the Giants and the 49ers had a close win. But I don't know, man.
1: I I have concerns about the 49ers pulling that off. As do I. But I'll say the 49ers roster is so much, so much better than the New York Giants roster. And I think the the Eagles are not going to be able to get away with a lot of the stuff that they attempted against New York. They're going to have to play much differently. And uh, that shouldn't come as a surprise. Oh, offensively. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're going to be able to get up. 49ers defense can do stuff.
2: I'm worried about the Eagles defense versus the 49ers offense. That's where my concerns start.
1: George Kittle, baby. Get it, bro. <laughs> yeah. George get Kittle.
2: It, bro. <laughs> bro. that That he made was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. That was so incredible.
1: It, it was. And I, I want to bring this up before I go. Debo Samuel, there is something about that guy. Whenever he has the football in his hands, he's just different than other players in the NFL. And I don't know if it's because he has a running back build, but I feel like every time he has a football, he's legit shot out of a cannon, like moving (laughs) like 25 miles per hour. And I just, I don't think I've seen that really in in quite some time. There's something different about Debo, a healthy Debo Samuel, when you can get him the football in space. I don't think there's like another NFL player that's as, dangerous in, in the manner that he is like Tyree kill right. is but like Debo Samuel can run through a linebacker's yes. face like Tyree kill can't so there's just I don't know I love watching Debo Samuel he's one of my low-key favorite guys in the NFL
2: and how about shout out to our boy my boy Fred Warner who I famously mm. said I wanted to draft in that draft class over BJ Hill before the draft you can find the tweet it's one of my good receipts I got bad receipts littered I got good receipts did you see the play he made on CD Lamb in yeah, the slot yeah. we' know a- it I mean, Jesus Christ, that was insane. As I think it was Sauce Garner tweeted uh, about it. Sauce Garner was like, this dude is a defensive back playing linebacker and yeah. still can function fully as a linebacker with all his responsibilities
1: there too. You're literally, it's like a cheat code. You
2: have a defensive back and a linebacker in one.
1: There is so much importance on having that type of player who can carry the number three. Yeah. It can be a three-by-one set. It can be empty. You can do so many things with your safety. You can shade them to other locations. You can double-team players. If you have a linebacker who can play the run, if there is a running back out there, he can execute his run fit, but if it is pass, can flip his hips and locate that number three wide receiver and cover him, not just the number three. Like This wasn't Michael Gallup. This wasn't you know any of the other Cowboys receivers. It was C.D. Lamb there. And he carried C.D. Lamb up the seam Same. and then forced an incomplete pass. That is rare. And that's why I feel like there are linebackers like that in the NFL. You have to go out and pursue them. And there have been a lot of names that are like, oh, he can be that. I just don't think there is another. Actually, I know there is no Fred Warner right, right now, another Fred Warner in the NFL. That stuff is so unique. And I long, and this is what I tweet. I long for the New York Giants yeah. to have a linebacker who can Name do him. that because you can get so creative as, as a defensive coordinator if you have a linebacker who can execute that specific assignment. It changes your whole defense. And I have
2: hope the Giants will, I'm not going to say find one of those players. They're really hard to find, but at least put a more concerted effort into finding them with this GM, Joe Shane, than they did with the last GM, Dave Gettleman, and even the GM before him, Jerry Reese, because Joe Shane found Matt Milano, and Matt Milano is a phenomenal run. He's not. Fred Warner, and he can't carry the scene like Fred Warner, but he is one of the top five inside linebackers in the game right now. He also then used big capital on Tremaine Edwin, I'm sorry, Edmonds, who maybe the Giants could be interested in this off season if he walks in free agency. So I have some faith we're finally going to do something at linebacker. Dear God, I would love to see it. I, I'm just so sick of the bad linebacker play. And,
1: you know, time will tell. You're right. Time will tell, Dan. And just like Lawrence Taylor said he can put his pads on. Did you see that? How Lawrence Taylor tweeted yeah, when the Giants yeah. were getting gashed. He's like, I'm I'm about to put my pads on and get down there. Yeah, <laughs> like,
2: I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I couldn't watch it. It's uh, it frustrating. We're going to go back to that. We're going to bury it like the Giants did. They're already moving on to 2023 and the offseason. So that's what we'll do here at the Big Boop Banter podcast as well. Thank you for tuning in. I hope those of you who are listening in the car enjoyed this version of the film review. We talked more big concept stuff, didn't go play by play. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. You're going to hear from us soon. There's a lot of off-season content we're about to turn out. So we're very excited. So thanks again. Have a great rest of your week.